This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour. Welcome to Trumpet Hour today. I'm Joel Hilliker. We have quite a variety of stories on today's program. We'll start in America, where fuel prices remain stubbornly high, and we'll talk about how this could affect food prices in the time ahead. Farmers are saying that because of the high cost of diesel right now, it might not even be cost-effective to harvest their crops, putting additional strain on food supplies and food costs. We'll hear a report from trumpet writer Andrew Miller about how this actually points to a biblical prophecy. Then to Canada, where new court documents show that the vaccine mandates were imposed without scientific justification or backing. And it shows that hundreds of statements by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and other government officials saying that they had the science behind them were lies. It's still more stunning proof of how so many people's faith in man's government is tragically misplaced. We'll learn about this in a report from trumpet writer Abraham Blondeau. Then we'll talk about yet another maritime acquisition China is making, further cementing its naval superiority in Asia, buying a deepwater port in the Solomon Islands. We'll hear a report from trumpet writer Jeremiah Jacques about this. We'll also hear from trumpet writer Josue Michels about an inspiring chapter from Germany's history. Today has some alarming parallels with the lead-up to World War II. German business leaders are entangled with Russia, Hatred for Jews is rising. The nation is remilitarizing very rapidly. Some very bad history is threatening to repeat itself. But we'll look at some related history from after the war that actually points to an ultimately hopeful future for Germany. And finally, we'll finish the program by talking about a wonderful power you have that you should exercise every day. Let's start by looking at the threat to this fall's food harvest in this report from Andrew Miller. The head of one of the world's most influential companies is telling Americans that they should be more concerned with food prices than oil prices. But the sad truth is that rising food and rising energy prices are intrinsically linked. The national average price of diesel is well above $5 per gallon. That's more than double what it was a year ago. So farmers across the nation are spending thousands of extra dollars to fuel their equipment. And it's not even harvesting season yet. South Dakota farmer Todd Hanton told an AG Web reporter that rising diesel prices had not affected his planting this year because he'd contracted ahead, but he was concerned about the harvest season. It's going to make a big difference this fall, he said. I'm sure that it's going to look a lot different when it comes with today's prices versus what I got contracted at. And Hanton is not the only farmer concerned. South Dakota farmer Tim Ostrom noted that rising diesel prices are cutting into his profit margins, and Wyoming Senator Synthes Loomis warned that diesel prices are so high that some crops aren't even worth harvesting. 
this will have long-term impacts on food prices. If farmers cannot get a higher price for their produce to offset their higher price they're paying for diesel, then many of them may just skip the harvest season altogether. Either way, the price of corn, wheat, soybeans, cotton, fruit, vegetables, beef, and wool is likely to increase dramatically next year. The U.S. Energy Information Agency forecasts that diesel prices will remain above $4 per gallon into 2023. Therefore, food prices are almost assuredly going to keep going up. John Boyd Jr. is the president of the National Black Farmers Association, and he told a News Nation reporter last May that bad weather, high fertilizer prices, and high energy prices are taking a serious toll. We're going to see a lot of empty shelves and a lot more high prices, he said. Farming isn't Republican, it isn't Democrat, it's independent, it's food. My grandfather said land knows no color, it doesn't know any party. While he was campaigning for the presidency, Joe Biden made no secret about the fact that he wants to end America's reliance on fossil fuels like coal, oil, and natural gas. And now we're seeing the results of his radical anti-fossil fuel energy policy. The Epic Times and other news sites are giving people tips on how to bulk up their pantry because the radical Biden administration will do nothing to make it easier for American oil and gas companies to increase their production and bring down the price of diesel. It's almost as if Biden wants Americans to reduce their standard of living. Remember how Joe Biden's boss, Barack Obama, lectured Americans in 2008 about their energy usage? Here's what he said. He said, we can't drive our SUVs and eat as much as we want and keep our homes at 72 degrees all the time, whether we're living in the desert or living in the tundra and just expect every other country to say, okay, you guys, go ahead and keep using up 25% of the world's energy, even though you only account for 3% of the world's population. So in other words, both Obama and Biden believe Americans need to consume a smaller share of the world's energy. And driving up oil and gas prices is a fantastic way to force Americans to do this, whether they want to or not. Although Democrats may try to temporarily reduce gas prices before this year's midterm elections, their long-term goal is to make fossil fuels unaffordable so that both companies and individuals will reduce their carbon footprint and their standard of living. America's food producers are already in an existential crisis, and America's food consumers are only one growing season behind them. A conservative victory in the midterm elections, or better yet, Donald Trump's return to power, could forestall chronic food shortages before they get too much worse. Yet ultimately, the Bible indicates that famine is coming to America unless people return to the biblical moral virtues that make nations great. Prophecies in Deuteronomy 28, Isaiah 23, and Ezekiel 5 describe a devastating trade war against America in the end time, while Joel 1 describes famine. Here's actually a, a passage from Joel chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, which says, The field is wasted, the land mourns, the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, the oil languishes. 
Be you ashamed, O you husbandmen, howl, O you wine dressers, for the wheat and for the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The wine is dried up, the fig tree languishes, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. So this is a Bible prophecy about corn, wheat, and barley growing in America's Midwest perishing, about grape, figs, and pomegranates grown on America's West Coast, and about apples grown in Michigan and the Pacific Northwest withering. Uh, And the prophet Joel continues, how the beast grown, the herds of cattle are perplexed because they have no pasture. The flocks of sheep are made desolate. O Lord, to thee will I cry, for the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame hath burned up all the trees of the field. The beast of the field cry also unto me, and the rivers of waters are dried up, and the fire hath devoured the pastures of the wilderness. And so this passage is talking about even more devastating famine affecting the agriculture. Now, fossil fuel shortages and rising energy prices may create serious food shortage in America, exacerbated by chronic drought and other natural disasters sent by God to destroy America's food, even as foreign nations refuse to sell agricultural produce to the United States. So these curses are caused by more than just a lack of diesel. But America's self-inflicted energy crisis certainly isn't making things any better. America's agricultural crisis is setting the stage for many sobering curses to come upon the nation. And it seems like this is what the Biden administration actually wants. It's a matter of life and death importance for people to pay attention to the seriousness of the times. And for more information on what the Bible says about end-time curses on America, Please request your free copies of our books, America Under Attack and The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. This is the voice of the Trumpet News Magazine. You're listening to Trumpet Hour. When Canadian officials imposed vaccine mandates on Canadian travelers, they repeatedly said this decision was backed by science. Well, new evidence shows they were lying, as we will now learn in this report from Abraham Blondeau. When the COVID-19 pandemic first started in Canada in 2020, the government of Justin Trudeau imposed some of the strictest travel measures in the world. This caused people to be separated from their elderly family members and from loved ones overseas. I know several people personally who had family members die and they were unable to see them before they died or they were unable to attend their funeral, all because of these travel mandates. Yet we have been assured this was a necessary sacrifice for the greater good. The science informed the Trudeau government that restricting travel protected all of us. This escalated in October of 2021 when the Trudeau government made vaccines a requirement to travel by plane, rail, or ferry. It also made vaccines a requirement to enter the country if you are a foreign national 
and a two-week quarantine requirement if you are unvaccinated, if you can even enter the country. And even after widespread protests in Ottawa in February over these mandates, we were assured time and time again that they were based in science. In February 2022, during question period, Trudeau assured Canadians that all the travel restrictions were grounded in science. Quote, you can't end a pandemic by legislation. You need to end the pandemic by relying on science, by public health measures, and by vaccinations. End quote. Then on June 1st, 2022, after extending these same uh, vaccine requirements for another month, the Prime Minister said the decision was, quote, anchored in science, unquote. But all of this has been exposed as a lie. The Trudeau government did not make their decision based on science, but purely for political reasons. All of the suffering and hardship caused by this government was not for a higher cause, but was to advance Trudeau's radical agenda. This is shocking corruption, but only the latest of many scandals now being exposed. How did all this come to pass? When the pandemic started, a government panel was created called COVID Recovery, with Jennifer Little being made Director General over this panel. On March 4, 2020, decisions relating to the pandemic were elevated to the COVID-19 Cabinet Committee. All decisions relating to the pandemic now came directly from the Cabinet level, with the Prime Minister directing it all. Even Director General Little called the vaccine requirements, quote, one of the strongest vaccination mandates for travelers in the world, unquote. None of these came into place until after the Prime Minister took direct control over the policy being made for the pandemic. These strict requirements have generated several lawsuits against the government. One lawsuit was filed by two Canadians, private citizens, one plaintiff, name is Carl Harrison, and the other is Sean Rickard, and both have elderly parents in Britain that they couldn't visit during the pandemic. Their case is now before the federal court, and several documents have been released to the public which expose the decision-making process of the Trudeau government. These documents were first reported by Rupa Subramaya, an uh, investigative journalist, and the documents reveal, number one, no one in the COVID recovery unit, including Jennifer Little, the director general, had any formal education in epidemiology, medicine, or public health. Number two, Little, who had an undergraduate degree in literature from the University of Toronto, testified that there were 20 people in the unit. When the plaintiff's lawyer asked her whether anyone in the unit had any professional experience in public health, she said there was one person, Monique St. Laurent. According to St. Laurent's LinkedIn profile, she appears to be a civil servant who briefly worked for the Public Health Agency of Canada. St. Laurent is not a doctor, Little said. Number three, Little suggested that a senior official in the Prime Minister's cabinet or possibly the Prime Minister himself, had ordered COVID-19 recovery to impose the travel mandate. During the cross-examination, Little told the plaintiff's attorney repeatedly that, quote, discussions, end quote, about the mandate had taken place at senior and very senior levels, 
but she refused to say who had given her team the order to impose the travel mandate. Little said, quote, I am not at liberty to disclose anything that is subject to cabinet confidence, end quote. Number four, the term cabinet confidence is noteworthy because it refers to the prime minister's cabinet, meaning that Little could not talk about who had directed the COVID recovery unit to impose the travel mandate because someone at the very highest levels of government was apparently behind it. And number five, in the days leading up to the implementation of the travel mandate, transportation officials were frantically looking for a rationale for it. They came up short. The court documents have uncovered uh, email exchanges between the public servants in Health Canada and the COVID recovery unit. And these emails reveal that there was no scientific proof or rationale given before the decision was made. Over several days, emails go back and forth asking for the rationale behind it, but in the end, none was given. Even after the, the vaccine mandates were imposed on October 30th, 2021, and later lifted on June 14th, 2022, no scientific rationale was ever received or provided to the government for their decision. However, at the same time, the Prime Minister himself the health minister, and several other cabinet-level ministers publicly assured Canadians that the vaccine mandate was based on scientific evidence, scientific advice, and that everything was based on science. But that is all lies. After this case made it to the federal court, the Trudeau government has even filed to shut down this case and try to stop the documents from being made public. Super Mayor writes, quote, Within days, government lawyers filed a motion seeking to shut down Harrison and Rickard's suit on the grounds that it was now moot, and, as their attorney said, to make sure the public never saw the court documents. But even so, the inner workings of the COVID recovery unit, and more generally, the Trudeau government's thinking around the travel mandate, remain opaque, end quote. This court case could be shut down in September of this year, but even if it is, these documents have exposed the Trudeau government. But this opaque behavior is not unexpected from this government. Since coming into power, the Trudeau government has resorted to a policy of cabinet secrecy, first developed by Pierre Elliott Trudeau. The legal firewall called cabinet confidence was developed to protect all cabinet communications and documents from legal discovery. This includes secret orders in council, which are government edicts done in secret and do not have to be released to the public. Eight of these orders were issued in 2021. But this also would include any cabinet discussion or orders made to the COVID recovery unit about the travel mandate. This is the level of secrecy that is obscuring the decision process of the Trudeau government. If the travel mandate is unscientific, then why did the Trudeau government impose the most stringent measures in the world? The trumpet has been warning for years about the communist infiltration of the English-speaking nations. This has manifested into the radical left governments led by Barack Obama. These governments are empowered by a radical administrative deep state that are using the bureaucratic machinery of government to accomplish the communist goals of the radical left. 
Justin Trudeau is a tip of the radical left spear in Canada. COVID-19 was a pretext for amassing more power, and these court documents expose the agenda behind these decisions. It was not about safety, health, or science, but about turning Canada into a communist dictatorship. Trudeau attacked the protesters in February of this year that were in Ottawa for expressing their discontent with these travel bans. He called them racist, misogynists, and people who don't believe in science. However, these documents now reveal that Trudeau is the fraud who is abusing his power to radically transform Canada. This was all prophesied in the Bible, as Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry explains in America Under Attack. The radical left is on the verge of destroying the United States, Canada, and the other English-speaking nations. As the radical left's assault on our institutions increases, so does the exposing of their corruption. The tide has turned against the radical left, but they will do anything to keep their grip on power. In these perilous times, only the Bible offers the real solution, and God's future for all of us. This is the truth you need right now to make sense of what is going on around you. To learn more, please read the newly expanded book by Mr. Flurry, America Under Attack. This is Trumpet Hour with Joel Hilliker. China is about to expand its naval supremacy in the Pacific, as we will now learn in this report from Jeremiah Jacques. China is preparing to buy a Solomon Islands plantation that features a deep water port and an airstrip. ABC's Four Corners first reported this story on August 1st, and China watchers see it as the latest signal of the Chinese Communist Party's intention to build a naval base on Solomon Islands. The property is a 55-square-mile plantation called Kolumbangara Forest Products. It lies on the island of Kolumbangara, and this property includes what Solomon Island officials say is the nation's best natural deep-water port. Edwin Schramm, general manager of the plantation, spoke to Four Corners about the port and called its depth exceptional. He calculated it to be between 130 and 160 feet near the wharf and 65 feet at the wharf itself. Schramm said this depth makes it a, quote, really well-suited natural port for big vessels to come in and berth, end quote. Shram and other plantation employees believe this port is what drew the Chinese to the Kolumbangara property. It appears that their interest is in making the property a base for the People's Liberation Army Navy. If this happens, the implications will be particularly serious for Australia, which relies on the shipping lanes near Solomon Islands and elsewhere in the South Pacific. Silas Tosinga is a member of Solomon Islands Parliament, and in a recent interview with Four Corners, he said, quote, Australia should be worried about it. To suggest that we, the Solomon Islands, should have another country coming in here as a security partner, to even suggest the idea of having to build a military base, 
Who are we building a base for? Who are our enemies? End quote. So this purchase plan is clearly not about safeguarding Solomon Islands from any would-be enemies. It is clearly about positioning the Chinese to push against their enemies, with Australia at the top of the list. It is remarkable just how quickly the idea of Solomon Islands hosting a Chinese naval base even became a viable one. At the start of 2019, Solomon Islands didn't even have diplomatic relations with China. The nation instead had close ties to Taiwan. But that year, the Chinese convinced the Solomon Islands leadership to switch their diplomatic loyalty from Taiwan to China. At the time, the trumpet said that move advanced China's quest to dominate vital shipping lanes in the South Pacific. Then in March of this year, a leaked draft showed that Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Sogavare was forging a security pact with China that would legally authorize the Chinese to station troops and armaments in Solomon Islands. So here we are just five months later, and the news about the Kolombangara plantation suggests that China is now preparing to put that new legal authority to use. Back in June of 2019, the trumpet said that the strategic location of Solomon Islands and neighboring nations is precisely why China was targeting them. We wrote, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, Vanuatu, and the Solomon Islands sit astride the most vital shipping lanes in Australasia. If China is able to militarize these shipping lanes, it'll be able to isolate Australia and become master of the South Pacific. End quote. The idea of China establishing naval bases and overpowering Australian and American influence to become master of this region, it may still sound unlikely, but Bible prophecy tells us that this will happen. If we look at the writings of Moses, in Genesis 22 there's a promise from God to the patriarch Abraham that his descendants would one day, quote, take possession of the gates of their enemies. That's how verse 17 is worded in the International Standard Version. And the lay educator Herbert W. Armstrong wrote at length about this promise. In his book, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, he showed that the peoples of the U.S. and U.K., including British Commonwealth countries such as Australia, are the descendants of Abraham's grandson Israel and Israel's son Joseph. Mr. Armstrong also showed that this promise in Genesis 22:17 was fulfilled before World War II. That's when Britain and America gained control over all of the world's major sea gates, such as Hong Kong, Panama, and Suez, as well as numerous minor gates, including Solomon Islands. He wrote, These descendants of Joseph became numerous and encircled the globe, and came to possess the gates of enemy nations. Britain and America came into possession of every such major gate in this world." End quote. Based on this scripture in Genesis 22, Mr. Armstrong said the fact that the UK and US came to control these strategic oceanic locations proved that these nations are the descendants of Abraham's family. When America and Britain had control over these maritime gates, they used it to defeat aggressor powers during both world wars. 
During World War II, there was even a historic campaign waged from Solomon Islands that resulted in a decisive loss for Japan. And then in peacetime, the U.S. and Britain used their control over these locations to keep the world's shipping lanes open and relatively stable to the benefit of all countries. So the Bible prophesied that the U.S. and U.K. would come to control these sea gates, and then it happened, and it was a boon to the world. But the Bible also prophesied that Britain and the U.S. would later lose their hold of these strategic locations. Deuteronomy 28.52 records God warning the descendants of Abraham that if they refused to turn to him, he would cause their enemies to take control of the gates and to weaponize that control against them. This passage states, And he shall besiege you in all your gates until your high and fenced walls come down wherein you trusted throughout all your land. And he shall besiege you in all your gates throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. End quote. For this besiegement to happen, the U.S. and U.K. first had to lose control of the gates that they had previously acquired. And this has occurred in recent decades with the transfer of Hong Kong, Panama, and others, mainly to China. And now we can add Solomon Islands to this list. Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry explains in his book Isaiah's End Time Vision how China and other powers will soon use their control over these gates against the modern descendants of Israel. He writes, Considering that China has come to possess most of the world's strategic sea gates, which ironically at one time were held by Britain and America, we believe there may be a brief alliance between the German-led Holy Roman Empire and certain Asian powers, such as Russia, China, and Japan, the kings of the East. Should Europe, the resurrected Holy Roman Empire, find a way to take advantage, even for a moment, of key resources and strategic holdings of China, Russia, and Japan, it would have more than enough power to besiege the Anglo-Saxon nations and enslave them." End quote. Mr. Fleury explains that the decline of the U.S. and Britain and the rise of China and other revisionist nations will culminate in a time of unprecedented catastrophe for America, Britain, Australia, and the whole world. But he emphasizes that the suffering has a definite purpose. It is designed to teach the peoples of the world to love God's law. And Mr. Flory stresses that the time of catastrophe and suffering will be immediately followed by an era of unprecedented peace. Thank God, he writes, that there is great news beyond the bad news. To learn more about the detailed Bible prophecies at the foundation of Mr. Armstrong's and Mr. Fleury's forecasts, and to understand the hope that lies at the heart of these prophecies, order your free copy of Isaiah's End Time Vision. This is Trumpet Hour. Is Germany about to repeat its nightmarish history of World War II? Several factors suggest that it is, as we will now hear in this report from Josue Michels. Germany is again troubled by its past. 
Attacks on Jews are becoming more and more frequent. Right-wing extremism is also on the rise. Political crises resemble those of the past. German business leaders are again entangled with a Russian dictatorship. Once again, Germans demand a stronger military and a stronger leader. We all have to ask an important question. Has Germany learned its historic lesson? If not, how can Germany change the course of history? How can a nation reckon with its past? Germany was already confronted with those questions in 1945, just after World War II ended. At that time, Germany considered national repentance. Such repentance could have indeed changed the course of the world. But Germany decided against it, despite the fact that there is an historical example on how such repentance can change the course of history. History shows that the ancestors of Germany once underwent such repentance. What's more, the Bible reveals that Germany will repent in the future and become an incredible force for good. But what is prophesied for the future is not reality today. During World War II, many Nazis conspired to go underground to plan for the next round. These well-calculated plans were revealed in 1996 when the United States government declassified a top-secret World War II document, printed in full in our free booklet, Germany's Conquest of the Balkans. This document exposed agreements made between German industrial giants and top political officials just before the war ended. Neither America nor Germany sought to confront this problem head-on. Just two years after Germany surrendered, the Allied authorities handed over the project of denazification to Germany's government. Instead of purging Nazism, they chose to let the underground movement remain undercover. Only four years later, Germany declared the conclusion of the denazification project. In Watcher on the Rhine, Brian Cornell gave a few examples of how foolish these decisions were. Many Nazis continued to hold high offices spreading their influences and the education of the next generation. Germany's failure to change this is a major reason why Germany is plagued with so many of the same problems today. Germany did not seek a total break from its Nazi past and instead chose to pursue economic prosperity. The consequences of these decisions have been explained in detail in our booklet Germany and the Holy Roman Empire. Nazis continued to shape Germany's domestic and foreign policies decades after the war ended. Here is another example. During World War II, the Serbs in Yugoslavia vehemently resisted Germany and were brutally suppressed and butchered. Some of the worst crimes of the war were committed in this region. And yet, Germany today has been the least apologetic about it. Deutsche Welle wrote, Serbia does not play much of a role in Germany's historical 
recollection of World War II, end of quote. Trumpet editor-in-chief Gerald Fluey explains in Germany's conquest of the Balkans that Germany pursued a calculated strategy to break up Yugoslavia. The resulting deadly Balkan wars favored Germany's strategic goals. As Mr. Fluey explains, the fall of Yugoslavia was largely instigated by the German government. These are not the actions of a nation that is truly repentant. Today we see Germany in a predicament similar to that leading up to World War II. It has again entered a close cooperation with Russia and is again militarizing. Early on in Russia's war against Ukraine, Germany blocked meaningful actions against Russia. As Mr. Fluey noted in Germany's secret deal with Russia, exposed, the historic trends will again lead to historic evils. But such evil could be prevented. In one of his booklets, Mr. Fluey recounts that one of his ambassador college professors, Dr. Hermann Hay, noted that Germany even thought of proclaiming a national repentance before the world after World War II. But they decided against it because they thought that there was no precedent. They thought no nation had ever done such a thing. It's a shame that Germany never completely broke with its warmongering past. But it's not too late. Mr. Fluey writes in his booklet on Nahum, quote, If Germany were to repent, as its ancient city Nineveh did, God would prevent this massive catastrophe. End of quote. The example of Nineveh is one that Jesus Christ drew on during his ministry, saying, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Matthew 12, verse 41. For long the German people remembered that example. They even had a national work-free day to remember this history. Booth und Betag, in English, Day of Repentance and Prayer. Germany kept this day in one form or another, for centuries till it was abolished in 1939. After Germany's reunification, this day became again a work-free day. But then it was again abolished in 1994 to create more work days. However, till this day, some publications in Catholic and Protestant churches point to the example of Jonah in the context of this day. This is remarkable if you consider the events of Jonah speak of Germany's very own history. Jonah 3 verse 5 reads, So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them even to the least of them. In his booklet on Jonah, Mr. Fluey explains, quote, The people of Nineveh believed God, not Jonah. They knew this message came from God, just as the Philadelphians know that God gave his prophetic secret to the Philadelphia Church of God. Here's an amazing truth. Carnal-minded people who didn't even believe in the true God knew this message came from God. The people of Nineveh proved that everybody throughout the ages should heed God's warning messages. 
the king and nobles took the lead in repentance. And that is what the kings and presidents of this world should do today. Are they too proud to fast, wrap themselves in sackcloth and sit in ashes? Are they ashamed of God and his message? Must they experience nuclear disaster before they repent? End of quote. Ancient Assyria was the only nation that ever repented. This example gives hope. Assyria is today called Germany. God warns the modern-day nations of Israel, primarily the US and Britain, that he will use Germany to punish them for their iniquity. Isaiah 10, verse 5 to 6, and Revelation 17, verse 17. Hearing God's warning, these nations have a chance to repent. You can read about that in Ezekiel 33, verse 11. But as the book of Jonah shows, Germany has a chance to repent as well, and as history has shown, they can. Even though Germany used to have a day of repentance and prayer, they haven't experienced anything close to the repentance and change, like the ancient city of Nineveh did. But why not? In Hamlet, Shakespeare wrote, Try what repentance can, what can it not? The people of Nineveh asked a similar question. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Jonah 3 verse 9 True repentance moves God deeply, Mr. Fruey writes. Who knows when God may change his prophecies against an evil nation? Who knows if God will save an empire or nations? Our message could save the whole world from destruction if it would only repent." End of quote. There are currently no indications on the world scene or in Bible prophecy that the nations of Israel or Germany will repent. But there is still hope in the future. Isaiah 19 verse 23 recounts that a time will come when Assyria and Israel will live in peace. While this prophecy is stated for a time after the return of Jesus Christ the start of the millennium, prophesied in Revelation 20, it shows that Germany will eventually repent. You can learn more about this marvelous truth in our free booklet, Jonah, A Strong Warning to God's Church. Also request The Wonderful World Tomorrow, What Will It Be Like? by Herbert W. Armstrong. It's time for today's Last Word. You do something several times a day that drastically affects your life. It alters your health, your education, your job, your reputation, your relationships with other people, and your relationship with God. I'm talking about making decisions. 
Have you ever decided to go out to eat with a group, but then no one will actually choose a restaurant? Have you ever decided to watch a movie, but then spent more time choosing it than watching it? These are trivial but common examples that reveal a bigger issue many people struggle with, indecision. God requires you to make decisions. It's actually a tremendous power he has given you. He wants you to learn to exercise that power wisely. He says in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life that both you and your seed may live. God doesn't make up your mind for you. He's given you free will and you have to decide. Making decisions is fundamental to building strong character in the incredible human potential. Herbert W. Armstrong defined righteous character as the ability in a separate entity with free moral agency to come to the knowledge of the right from the wrong, the true from the false, and to choose the right and possess the will to enforce self-discipline to do the right and resist the wrong. He said the Christian must develop the righteous character to choose the right way and resist the wrong, to discipline the self in the way that he ought to go instead of the way of self-desire and vanity. Are you learning to exercise this power wisely? Are you developing and practicing your ability to make right decisions? Or do you always hesitate to even make a decision and end up just doing what comes easiest. If you're indecisive, you stunt your own character growth. Failure to decide is a decision, usually a bad one. Well, how do you learn good decision-making? You learn it by making decisions. The decisions that we face early in life are small, and as we grow and mature, the importance of those decisions grows. And you're ready for life's weightier decisions if you're practicing good decision-making all along. With each small decision, you prepare for greater decisions down the road. Now, all of your day-to-day decisions add up to a lot. How you start your day, what you eat and drink, how you treat your family, what work you do or how diligent you are in your work the respect you choose to show your boss or your coworkers or your employees, what you talk about with your peers, whether to exercise and how, how well you take care of your possessions, what to spend your money on, whether to devote your free time to yourself or to others, how much time and effort you put into prayer, how diligent you are to do Bible study and to turn it into action, when to go to bed. You make so many decisions every single day. Recognize those moments as decisions. Become aware of when you need to make a decision and then exercise your power and seize that opportunity. Just think about some of the positive decisions you can make every single day. Bounce out of bed when the alarm goes off. Get in prayer before you start the day. Greet each person with a friendly smile instead of a scowl or a grumpy face. Recognize the opportunities to serve others all around you. Learn and practice proper etiquette and social graces. Resist the temptation to gossip and to tear down others. Learn to say no to the things you shouldn't do and yes to the things that you should. 
Guard your health, watch your weight, limit junk foods, cut out the late night internet use, and go to bed when you should. These are all decisions that you make. And do you recognize the power that you have? It's easy to underestimate the importance of all those little decisions, but each one is an opportunity to either build character or break it down. Decision-making requires action and follow-through. For a decision to work, you have to put it into action. So roll up your sleeves and get to work. And when you've made a decision, stick with it. Be disciplined. Don't waffle. If you decide to attend an event, don't back out because you don't feel like it. If you decide you're going to cut sugar out of your diet, don't give in the first time you see a donut. Remember, decision is vital to character development. If you don't stick with your right decisions, you're weakening your character. God has given you a wonderful power. Recognize it starting right now and exercise it purposefully every day. I'm Joel Hilliker, and that will do it for today's Trumpet Hour. You can send me any thoughts on today's program to letters at thetrumpet.com. Thanks to our contributors, Andrew Miller, Abraham Blondeau, Jeremiah Jacques, and Josue Michels. Thanks to Nick Irwin and Dwight Falk for engineering and production. I'll leave you with this thought from Thomas P. Murphy. Minutes are worth more than money. Spend them wisely. Thank you for joining us on Trumpet Hour. Until next time, keep watching your world. to Trumpet Hour on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG, and online at kpcg.fm. Understand your world.